Keeping me waiting. We're live, everybody. Welcome in. It's Friday, 102 Central, 1102 Pacific, 202 Eastern. Welcome to our Friday Community Forum, June 9th. So nice to have you guys on 6-9. Wow, what a day. If you've been following us for uh, for a while, is this this is our one year anniversary, right? Yes. Of doing the community yeah, forum. Yeah, yeah, Great. guys, round of applause! My goodness, we did this for a year, where we've had uh, our community come together every Friday and discuss whatever topics the community wants to talk about. It's usually ends up being about Tesla and electric vehicles and Elon Musk and Twitter and all that good stuff. But it's just been can I just say it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being part of this community. It's my favorite day of the week. Thank you so much for making this such a special day. Honestly, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Um, and of course, everybody in the comments section, uh, always keeping the conversation respectful and the mods always killing it uh, in, the, in, the, in the group chat, making sure everybody's uh, just having a, a great convo and keeping it respectful. So it's truly, truly a team effort and I'm just so proud to be to be associated with you guys. So thank you so much for supporting the channel. We'll do our usual MMTLP update with uh, not legal advice slash Rob slash Bob slash Robert slash Richard. And then we'll go to Rodman uh, to kick us off with the discussion. We haven't had Rodman for a while and it's so good to have him back. So uh, go ahead, uh, Bob, and give us an update. And first of all, I wanted to thank you for giving us the space to have this space because I'm sure we all appreciate it. And uh, we've learned a lot. I, I'm speaking for myself, so I appreciate it very much. Thank you, brother. Thank uh, you. Notwithstanding that I sued my airline for losing my luggage, but I lost my case. Um, so, <laughs> eight M out of M ten, pretty okay. good. MM MMTLP naked shorting, uh, where hedge hedge funds basically uh, short a stock without any intention of covering, uh, and it happens a lot. Happened with Tesla, and in effect, the way you should think about it is. A dilution of EPS. That's all it is. So it's just making your stock worth less because it's putting out artificial non-existent shares into the marketplace. So, and another aspect is it stops development of biotechs, medical devices, drugs, because those are capital intensive and are more likely to be targeted. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, educate yourself, speak to your congressman. Watch me at Not Legal Advice, K-N-O-T. And uh, just to let, let you know that it's being watched, the Wall Street Journal uh, had a hit piece two days ago on MMTLP. So it's, and, and Kramer on the same day also did the same thing. So there are people that are paying attention, are pushing back. It must be something there, not nothing. Anyway, that's it. Awesome. Great to hear that it's gaining steam. Not legal advice. Bob finally plugged his own channel. I love it. Uh, so go make sure you check it out. Rodman, how you doing, brother? Kick us off with the discussion. What's going on? I'm doing on? all right. Um, thanks for having me back. Uh, of course. So I guess the big news is GM is following today or yesterday. So um, I guess one of the big questions has been, will Ford and GM like they obviously benefit from being allowed into the supercharger network, but uh, how does how does Tesla benefit? So um, I guess we can just start with that and each talk about what you think Tesla gets out of this. I think the obvious one is that they could get uh, supercharging costs uh, from 
people using the supercharger network. So what else do you guys think? Who wants to take it? I mean, there's, there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, Richard, do you want to kick us off uh, with what do you think is there after you mute, after you unmute yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're on YouTube. You yeah, should be yes, good at this. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I just got knocked Hans off the air. I apologize, Hans. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I thought about this. First of all, I kind of like thought about Tesla itself. So it, I, you know, we talk about Tesla being AI company, a, a, a energy company, a car company. But when it comes down to it, it's an infrastructure company. Cause you know, <clears throat> what I was thinking about is, it builds robots to build the robots. It builds factories. It, that's a product. It builds manufacturing processes. It builds all kinds of hardware and all kinds of software. And ultimately, and this kind of goes back to your question, ultimately it becomes an issue of, I think they're going to license everything. I think it's all on the table. That They'll make their cars on top of that. They're going to license the whole bundle because they might as well get a piece of everything than opposed to fighting. And obviously Ford and GM are basically saying, you know, we're, we're not going to beat you. That's it. So we're not going to fight you. We're going to try to work constructively because they've acknowledged the fact that their survival depends on them being able to work with Tesla or else they wouldn't be doing it. I'm sure they would not be doing it. Um, so I think the initial part about the... Uh, just the charging is just standardization. And I think it's just the first rung in a series of events that will standardize Tesla in the industry. On top of that, I thought, and I think FSD will be also. I think FSD, and I think Elon threw it out. We talked about it last week. Elon threw it, threw it out this week. So obviously Elon's listening in the community forum. But I think it will be thrown out, and I think it's going to be used, I think, well for Tesla to be able to approach the regulators to expedite regulatory approval. And last week we were talking about Ford and the UAW being attached to Ford. Now we have the UAW being attached to GM. So to the extent the unions want EVs to succeed because the cars are, those jobs will be in their best interest, that they will be a benefit, not a hindrance to Tesla getting regulatory approval because it's going to be Ford and GM using the same technology and it's going to be their jobs on the line. So I happen to think if that's what they were contemplating, I think that was a brilliant strategy because it it's almost endemic. It slowly creeps in because if you just do one rung at a time, nobody really sees that as the entirety. It's, it's at the end of the day when you'll see that Tesla has control over the, uh, the entire product. And I know yesterday I saw briefly, I think on a replay, I saw your uh, live stream and they were talking about uh, antitrust. And eventually that might be an issue. Tesla might have so much control over the industry that they might have to sell off portions or tasks. But usually they're going to do it at a fair price. They'll get compensated for it. And it just may be the case. To the extent that Tesla is deemed to be the industry, we are all going to like that. We are. And to the extent we have to sell out of a part, okay, we go from 100 to 95. So be it. But I really thought that GM confirming what Ford did is just the basically the second step in a journey that 
to uh, Tesla filling the marketplace. The last thing I was going to say is about robotaxis. I th think it's brilliant in this way also. They get the benefit of working with GM and Ford, but they GM and Ford are making diddly squat in numbers. So Tesla still, still gets to fill up the road with their cars and take advantage of an expedited FSD process. So they will be at a point where they might have you know, we talk about how many cars they're going to produce, but each year they're producing 3 million, the next year 4 million. We got an accumulation. They're going to have just the volume of cars on the road to do robo taxis, and nobody else will have the volume. Yeah, that's that's a lot of great points. Uh, who wants to uh, go next here? A lot, a lot of stuff there. Hans, Mimi, Rodman, anything you guys want to add? Because I have a lot, and I want to let you guys go first, if you'd like. Go for it, Mimi. Yeah, I go for it. Uh, I was thinking what you said uh, last year, Richard, that I saw some people in the in the chat yesterday um, during the live stream or during the Twitter space, and they were so worried about all these cars coming, GM cars and Ford cars. But how many are there? I mean, GM they're not really producing all that many cars, uh, and every time they drive up to a Tesla charger. They're going to see Teslas. Um, okay, so some people like Yashu were talking about someone who didn't want to buy a Mackie because he couldn't charge it, and now they will. But so what? I think that Elon was he was really gracious uh, during his talk with Mary Barra and the same with Jim Farley that the goal is to have as many EVs as possible out in the streets. And I think that, I mean, he's proven time and time again that he really, really believes that. And I think that's great. The, the mission is the most important thing. Uh, and I was also wondering, the the plug itself, uh, is the patent free? Will they be making their own plugs, GM and Ford, or will they be buying them from Tesla? That That's a good question, actually. Go ahead, Raman. No, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. The, from my under, I mean, from what it's looking like, and I don't know if anyone in the cut comments can free this up for me because I I, I, sh I haven't looked as, as deep, but it's a North American charging standard that is created by Tesla, but it hasn't been uh, officially, say, regulated by the United States for it to be the standard. I mean, if, if you look at a tweet that was just put out uh, by the White House or uh, Sawyer Merritt had this out, and if you can share that real quick, uh, producer wife is in the private chat, where the, the U.S. Uh, government is saying that Tesla will receive a credit Go ahead and click on Sawyer Merritt's tweet there, if you don't mind. Uh, White House on Friday said that Tesla model charges will be eligible for billions of dollars in federal subsidies as long as they include the CCS connection, which to me implies that NACS, even though it's called charging standard, it's just the preferred standard that GM, Ford, and Tesla are going together in, which Tesla created. So it sounds like it's still a licensing type deal where, where Tesla, I think, technically owns the ability to create them and they and people would have to pay them to put the NACS in the chargers. I don't know if is that correct? Does anyone do anybody want to clear that up for me? I was gonna ask I a question. Know. I was gonna ask a yeah. question. Does Tesla make the plug internally or is it supplied to them? Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's probably if it's Tesla's if it's, the only people who make those, right? So yeah. Yeah, if it's a, it's a supplier, obviously they get them from somebody else could buy them too. But if Tesla makes them internally, they'd have to provide them or provide the they'd have to license the ability of GM to make 
Tesla plugs or or they would just sell it to them. Yeah. Yeah. So if I do a Google yes. search, um, and if you can bring it up real quick, and I'll throw it back to you, Mimi. Um, th there is a private chat there link, producer wife, when you get a second, uh, I, who makes NACS plugs, Tesla, the North American charging standard previously known as Tesla charging connector is an electric, uh, vehicle charging standard developed by Tesla used on all North American market Tesla vehicles. So it looks like it's uh, Tesla makes it, uh, uh, they own it. So even if it's somebody else that's making the plug for them, I can't remember if this is an in-house item or not. Um, damn it. I mean, even if I knew, I probably would be under NDA. I can't say it, but um, go ahead, maybe. No, I just thought it, um, I kind of lost what I was going to say after that. But no, I just okay. thought it was interesting. But I mean, doesn't Elon always says that they that all their patents are open? Doesn't that mean that someone else could be making them if they wanted to? Yeah, but I who would, would prefer they sell if only Tesla them? could make them. Yeah, I think it's just who would, if like I was making a, like these plugs, who do I sell them to? If Tesla is not buying them, then no one, right? So yeah. we need someone else to come in and buy them. And then, yeah, maybe it makes sense to have some other company jump in and start making them and selling them to Ford and GM and whoever and, else comes next. And when he says they're open source, I don't think everything is open source. Like, I don't think like, you know, on the internet, I can go out and find, you know, all the software for FSD and the, the configuration of the hardware. I think there, you know, that might be a little bit of an overstatement on his part. Like he's yeah. not, he's never done that before, but, but, uh, <laughs> but the but point I is just one, sorry, go, go ahead. I was just responding to Bob, to, to Richard. <laughs> the, the, no, it's Bob. It's Bob. It's Bob. Okay. <laughs> so you, you should be able to just take, whatever like you could take whatever you need and go to some chinese manufacturer and get them to make that end plug for you at like fractions of probably what tesla makes it up but anyway but the the benefit there is a benefit though because tesla has a prominence in china and china wants to be on good terms with tesla they will probably enforce tesla's rights in china they because i think tesla gets special treatment because tesla is a via Pun intended. Tesla is a vehicle for Chinese EV companies to get into the United States. That's the way I think they see it. It's a reciprocal right. Interesting point. Go ahead, Mimi. No, um, what I was what I was asking myself is: Is there any chance that this will spread to Europe? Uh, the North American standard. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, it looks a lot better. I mean, I have not, I have not, like I've said several times, I've not heard any complaints about the the uh, CCS plug in Europe. It seems to be working fine. Tesla, I mean, everybody has it, and they're fast chargers, and and they seem to be working well in the winter. But they are big, and they're, uh, I mean, the Tesla plug looks so much better. Go hands. Oh, caught him by surprise. Uh oh. Yeah, I was um just gonna say that I don't have very much faith in the EU to undo the mistake that they made with going to CCS two. So. Yeah, I think the the way I think about it is um if if it was if the NACS was actually an open standard and anyone could do it. 
Why doesn't, why wouldn't Electri Electrify America and the other guys, like why haven't they done so already? That would make their addressable market 10x in the United States. So the fact that they haven't done that, I think implies that Tesla owns the, the plug and whatever terms Electrify America had to deal with, they weren't favorable enough for them to make that decision. But the flip side of that too, is that Electrify America is probably getting a lot of, and somebody please check me on this, uh, it's probably getting a lot of uh, subsidies from the government to build out their network. And the folks that are running that company are, have already probably made a pretty penny. So if their network isn't that great, they don't care because they've already made their money, right? And I think that's probably why it explains why Electrify America in the United States is such a significant, uh, <laughs> significantly worse experience than the Tesla supercharger by all data points. So um, now it will be interesting to see if Electrify America and others decide to bring on NACS or the Tesla standard uh, over time. But I just don't think, A, they're financially motivated to do so as a company because that means actually doing the work. And they clearly haven't because, you know, they, they have a lot of issues with down charges and all this all that stuff. And then two, the locations where Electrify America has these charges available are subpar to, to superchargers. So it's not just as simple as replacing the plugs. I think it's going to have to be completely rethinking where these plugs need to go. And what's likely is that Tesla probably has already set up shop in those areas. And so Electrify America would be would have to go like go head to head competition with Tesla and try to offer a similar similar experience than Tesla. So I don't know. That's kind of what's going through my mind when I think about the plug being standardized. Uh, go ahead, Mimi. Sure. Hans. Uh, well, I was going to ask Hans. I mean, I'm not good at the history of, of plugs, but from my understanding, the EU settled for this plug because there were so many different ones and this was the best option at the time. But I don't think that they, at that time, had the ability to choose the North American well, the, charging standard, did they? At the time, they didn't solicit uh, anything from Tesla specifically. Like, you know, it was the, the classic European, oh, we put up a sign. Well, it was down in the basement. But, uh, you know, they, Tesla didn't know that they were even going to make this decision and didn't have any input on to, hey, we have a better a better charging system than this and um yeah so just based on elon's comments that they've really pursued trying to get changes made you know they didn't necessarily want to adopt ccs2 in europe but they're not even allowed to use their plug in europe mm -hmm. period anywhere um just based on the regulation that that tells me there's a lot of regulatory capture going on there and you know obviously the eu is rife with bureaucracy that kind of stifles things from moving forward quickly and sensibly. So that's where my uh, lack of confidence stems from. Yeah, well, I don't have that much confidence either. I just thought that that Tesla weren't, I, I don't remember what which year this was even, but it seemed like it was the best option at the time. But, well, yeah, I think it will be huge to change now because, I mean, there on so many different uh, charging networks and they would all have to change. The other I thing that I've been wondering is why, um, why did Ford and GM make this announcement now? We know that 
the interview about a year ago with a bunch of the Ford executives at Monroe that charging came up and Doug Field specifically said that they were examining all options, including using the Tesla charger. And so it seemed like even at that point, it had already been something that they were looking at. And my speculation from the outside is that Tesla, while they were open to letting other people use it, that all the information necessary for people to use, not only from a hardware standpoint, but then also probably more critically from a software standpoint, having the API infrastructure built out that would allow other manufacturers to be able to integrate the charging experience into their network probably was not there. And I think that actually took some engineering resources that needed to be dedicated on Tesla's part to make this possible. And I think that's one of the reasons that it took as long as it did. Um, and so they kind of had to go through the, the process of, okay, first we're going to release the North American charging standard so that everyone knows this is what we're going to do from a hardware standpoint and make it available for people to start moving in that direction. You know, I'd, with that patent, if they're not going to pursue people, um, my understanding is that anyone could manufacture the plugs themselves, whether it is Tesla or outside suppliers. Um, but then, yeah, the the software APIs in order to connect with the chargers, because I believe that CCS and um, the Tesla charger, the NAC standard, actually operate completely differently. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the supercharger handles all of the logic controlling the charging and it's not handled in the car at all. And then it's the reverse for CCS that the burden is on the cars to actually manage the flow of energy into the battery um, instead of the other way around. And so that is, you know, it, it requires a whole different interface than what the, the vehicles from other manufacturers have. And trying to bridge that gap, I think, is a little bit more complicated than most in the general public would kind of think initially. Richard, you want to go? Yeah, thank you. I, I enjoyed your smile, by the way, there. Uh, and I did uh, rename my, my dog. My puppy is really great. My uh, formerly known as uh, Agatha. We'll just leave it there. Um, okay. Uh, real estate. I think the, we have to remember that Tesla's been at it at this a lot longer, and so their locations for their chargers are going to be better than anybody else in the industry, because they went out and they bought the property or leased the property long before any of these current EV companies were losing money, you know, and they they lost money from day one. So I think they are set up uh, better than any other other charging company uh, companies, and that's why all the other charging entities, ChargePoint, EVgo, whatever, that's why they're all struggling because they can't get the same kind of exposure. I see them in my neighborhood. I see both Tesla superchargers and I see like EVgo and the EVgos are just less prominent because uh, Tesla was smart to get uh, coverage. If you go out to Vegas, like halfway on your trip, you go to, you see one that is, you can't miss it. Um, in Europe, I, what I was going to say is I would bet that if Tesla went to whoever the EU makes this, this decision and says, um, we'll install 10,000 new superchargers throughout all of Europe, we'll work out a financing deal. Uh, would you mind if we put in both 
both plugs. We're going to put ours and we're going to put the European plug in also and let people get used to one or the other. And then down the road, once people are decided, because if the Tesla plug is better, it will win out. And then you've kind of surreptitiously kind of brought it into the, to the picture. Um, but because if, if Tesla, because the EU doesn't want to build them. So if they can get a private company to do it, and Tesla obviously has a, like an, any, everything else, they have the ability to build those. That's another, that's another good. It's not just the supercharger. It's the ability to install it and figure out where it goes. So I think that alternative exists. Maybe they are even exploring that alternative, but it wouldn't shock me if they were that if that occurred. Copy, uh, Ronman, you want to go ahead? Yeah, I was just going to try to pass this back to the original question, which was like, how does Ford and GM? I mean, how does Tesla benefit from letting Ford and GM into the? Uh, charging network i mean i think f from my standpoint it seems <clears throat> you know we, we now live in a world where starting next year and and, and it's definitely in 2025 a ford f-150 lightning owner is going to go charge at a tesla supercharger and they're going to be flanked by cyber trucks right that's powerful that's a very powerful very powerful marketing strategy. And that's one that, you know, and I've been thinking about this a lot, especially this morning. I'm like, is, is you know, in all due respect to Jim Farley and Mary Barra and, and GM and Ford and everything, but doesn't this seem like a very desperate move to open up that window, to open up that door for that to happen? Or am I thinking about this incorrectly, right? I would love no, to get your take on this. Yeah, yeah, that's a surrender. That's a surrender. And Ford was first because they probably recognized it before GM recognized it or wanted to do it publicly. Yeah, but that's a surrender, literally. And uh, but it's also a business decision. Somebody decided that's gonna we're gonna do the best economically if we pursue this path. And and Rodman, in answer to your point, I don't think this one move. So I don't look at it as an isolated move. I see it as a package. And we're just, this is step number one. So if this is where it stopped, would Tesla benefit greatly? Probably not. You know, like Farzad said, they'd get the advertising, and especially the early days when there's only five Ford uh, trucks, you know, because they're not producing any numbers, and there's 50 cyber trucks, it will be very overwhelming. But I, I see it as just a package of, uh, you know, five years from now, we'll see you know, prong by prong how it worked, and then it will be super valuable, and it will have it will have assured the existence of both Ford and GM. That's kind of what they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, Ramin, did you want to give your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I see this as Ford and GM shooting themselves in the foot in two ways. So the first is how much does this like what's the word um well it's like if you're buying if you're waiting for a gm or ford with this technology like are you going to push your buying off until like those things until the charging until it does an acs right so right now 
you might just say, oh, I don't want to buy one until it has this feature, right? So you, uh, it's not cannibalization. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, You're just delaying it, Osborne? Yeah, Osborne effect, right? So perfect, thanks. And the second hey, problem, <laughs> you're so good with words. <laughs> um, I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> so the second thing is like, why, if, I, if I'm a new buyer and I'm looking at buying like four options, right? There's a Ford, there's a GM, there's a Tesla, there's a VW. It's like, okay, so I want to get the Ford and GM because it has, because it works with the Tesla connector. So why don't I just skip all that stuff and just go to the Tesla? And even if I'm not, I'm putting it, like I might've just been comparing the Ford and GM, but now that like, I know that it has a Tesla, that this works with the Tesla uh, superchargers, why don't I just add Tesla in the list? And suddenly someone who didn't have Tesla on their list as a comparison and their comparison shopping, now they do, right? And so how many people will Ford and GM lose because Tesla has better range. It already has the Tesla charger. It has a better price, uh, has a lot of features, right? And if I'm thinking like later down the road, uh, oh, Ford and GM now have FSD because of Tesla. It's like, why wouldn't I just get the Tesla version, <laughs> right? So I, I, I just don't see how this is I see why they're doing it. I see why Ford and GM are trying to make sure that they survive in the long term. But I think like this actually puts some pressure on them in the short term to get to that long term, if that makes any sense. But there's there's loyal Ford and GM buyers that'll buy no matter what. And there's anti-Tesla people that won't buy no matter what. And that does make up a segment. Um, and objectively speaking, although we're not objective, clearly, if you know the initial question, which one should I buy? You know, objectively speaking, it's an easy decision. The people don't necessarily make decisions only on objective evidence. They have a mo you know, if you live in Michigan, you're probably more inclined to buy Ford or GM because maybe your family member worked there or whatever. So I there'll still be a segment of people, and they again, GM and Ford may have concluded that they have to survive. And if they, and there's gonna be a period where their ICE car say, and I think they just started, I just saw they closed the factory. What's gonna happen is they're gonna start producing a lot less cars. So their costs will decrease and they may not be in bad financial position at some particular point because they closed enough factories or sold enough factories. They're not paying as many workers. So they, there may be a position where they're not, it's not like straight downhill. There may be like a level area. And I'm sure they must have contemplated all, all this. You know, they, even if they publicly, you know, especially GM, obviously, even if they publicly pr pretend they don't know, they obviously know they're not dumb. Or they are. Yeah. I, I don't want to speculate about GM too much just because I think strategically they're terrible and, I think they're wasting a lot of time and money and I don't know how this is going to turn out for them other than, Hey, Mr. Government, please give me money because I'm strategically important. But 
on the Ford side, you know, Jim has talked about them trying to really be very thoughtful and deliberate about carving out their niche. And obviously the three row SUV that I have to imagine is in development based on the lightning platform is one thing that he called out specifically that they can compete in. And honestly, Tesla's not going to reach that space for a while. Uh, it's just not something unless, you know, it's not impossible that there could be a Gen 3, three row uh, SUV, CUV product uh, based on the unbox process, since we know that, you know, the sides and the battery pack could be different sizes. And so you could elongate that into something that is three row, but you know, that's a little ways out and we haven't heard any product announcements about that. So that leaves the three row SUV segment a little bit open, but also Ford is very big in the commercial segment. And so with products like the van, you know, those products are much more valuable to commercial customers if the charging experience on them is better. And so that's another big factor that I'm sure is in consideration and it's a lot easier to build out your Tesla destination charger infrastructure than having to go with something that you're building based on the CCS standard at your facilities or in the wild. Great points. Mimi, I know you were off mute earlier. Did you want to add anything to the discussion? No, I just thought about what we talked about um, GM and Ford, and I kind of got the impression when Farley was speaking that that they are going to do other cars, other models, like a big SUV and and not competing with Tesla, trying to find their own niche. Anyone have any thoughts there? Maybe. What do you think? I mean, do you think that they'll go after their own niche? Well, I, I think it would be wise to do it. I was surprised I heard yesterday that Lucid is going to China. They like snatched the a vice president away from Neo and they're going to China. They can't even make, you know, they make like eight cars. What are they going to send one <laughs> car to Beijing? That's Lucid. I, I, I was wondering about that. You know, you, maybe you have a presence. I just don't know if you sell cars. You still got to make them and they have to not blow up like the Chevy Bolt. They can't, you know, all catch on fire. You have to be able to park it in your garage and not have to have the fire department parked in front. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Tesla will help them in all that, honestly, because, again, I think it's a great infrastructure play. Just take a piece of everybody's action. Why not? It's, yeah. That's compounding. That's just margin. That's that's a hundred percent return. I think the the one indirect uh, and, and I heard somebody talking about this. I forget if it was Twitter or YouTube. One of the indirect impacts of a of GM and Ford and others jumping on the NACS standard. By the way, I, I made a prediction yesterday that I think every automaker by the end of the summer will have NACS in the U.S. announced. Uh, I think I think it, it's that dire of a situation for them because you'll be at an immediate at an immediate. You're not only competing with Tesla, now you're competing against Ford and GM and Tesla at the same time, right? So, like, God forbid you don't announce this. Um, There's the, one exception to that, just okay. because it's extremely difficult with their um, architecture. If if Kia Hyundai is sticking with 800 volts, I don't know how 
they adopt in ACS. So, um, right. at least I've heard speculation that because they're using the higher architecture or the higher voltage architecture, that Nax is not compatible. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I've seen some rumblings about that. That would apply to Porsche too, then. Yeah. So does that mean that they have to stick with CCS? Is that, or it has to be a new standard? So CCS uh, covers. Yeah, they could invent. They could either they have to develop something. So assuming that that's true, either they have to develop their own way to convert the power, um, mm. or they have to work off of CCS, or they could go something all new. So kind of like three options there. Gotcha. Um, okay, so yeah, th- I appreciate that that clear up there. I'm curious to see if if that will develop or not. Um, but the 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 one indirect result of this is that which which again I heard from somebody and I I just want to communicate it forward because I think this is actually an interesting thing and it really ties to the I- infrastructure play is that the amount of solar panels and energy products that will now have to be built out to support the influx of additional automakers using superchargers is going to create, uh, it's going to give a forcing function to Tesla to ramp its energy business even further. And it's going to solidify that business, right? So it's not just a, hey, Tesla is going to make money from the supercharger network. Tesla is also going to have the supply chain spooled up to uh, offer energy products to service these supercharging stations, which is the battery and potentially the solar panels, which again, gives a more of a leverage for a deeper supply chain for batteries and all that stuff as well. So it's kind of like a compounding effect. And then if you extrapolate this out to 2030, if every automaker has gone on NACS and then who knows, maybe Europe also goes on NACS and whoever else. And they, I mean, they might call it something else by that point. Um, you know, the global charging standard, the, the GCS, okay? That would be cool. Then every electric vehicle get, that gets made, essentially, that's at least sold in those markets, is uh, Tesla would realize a some sort of revenue from every electric vehicle that's made on planet Earth. That's if, if their charging standard becomes standard globally. But at the very least, every EV that's sold in the US, Tesla is going to take a cut. And... That's freaking insane. That is absolutely insane. And, you know, I watched Corey and, and Sandy from their Monroe live video this morning talking about, um, you know, how Corey coined the term of Tesla as its own gas station now. You know, it's so true. It's, so that's the valuation there. Shouldn't we give Tesla valuation based on that? That's synonymous with, with whatever that means in the future. What do you think about that? Well, you know, take it for what it's worth because I'm the only person I've, who I've heard uh, pronounce this or propose this or whatever P word you want to use. I think the uh, chargers are a real estate play. And I think it's a perfect opportunity to repurpose distressed commercial shopping centers, make them yeah. supercharging centers, add some type of gaming entertainment, uh, restaurants, bars, etc., And you repurpose those for a kind of a new style of commercial uh, real estate. And they, they would be cheap to acquire. And I think it would be a, a great conversion because obviously commercial has to be changed anyway. And I, But I haven't heard anybody assert that other than, as Rodman knows, that one play in L.A. where they're doing a kind of a mini version of that with a restaurant and charging station. 
that's and it's not just by the way and it's not just superchargers right like the nacs also extends to destination chargers too so that's why that play is so interesting because if you do want to if you do want to charge at a mall and you're not run, you say you're running 80 amps and you're not running the, whatever amps the supercharger runs, uh, 250 or whatever, all right, that's the kilowatts. Um, then that's, that also opens up an opportunity for you. Go ahead, Mimi. I I signed up to become a, a charger station. I sent my, I applied at Tesla. They're, pro they're probably never going to contact me, but I just thought it was fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, uh, no, but I think that I think you talked about this before, Richard, and I think uh, it sounds, uh, I mean, it's sort of like creating a new uh, meeting place. I mean, we're all going to be charging our, our cars and people will bring kids. And uh, yeah, I can see that happening. And with all these commercial real estate that something needs to be done with it. Yeah. Okay. Any, uh, I see you have a, a tweet in the private chat hans did you want to discuss that yeah it's just uh one of the guys on twitter madmanx he was looking at the fact that this should you know well really I'll, I'll go back for just a second and say i think to tesla whether it's building out infrastructure for superchargers or building out the supercharger network itself like the number of vehicles that these other manufacturers are producing in the united states ford GM, even the likes of Hyundai and Volvo and all these other, like it's very minimal in comparison to Tesla. So Tesla has to uh, invest aggressively in building out all this infrastructure just to support their own growth. And if they do even a marginal increase um, in that build out just to support these other things, it's very, very small concession that they have to make. And if they can get more federal money to fund the growth of that network by making it open and able to charge anything, then really it's a bigger win for Tesla customers than they realize, even though they think like in their mind, they're thinking, oh, I'm gonna have to compete with more Fords and GMs and other things when I'm at the charging station. And the problem is honestly not those other manufacturers. The problem is more Teslas, that Tesla's going to continue to compound vehicle deliveries at between 30 and 50% annually a year. And so you're going to fight with way more extra Teslas in the future than you are going to fight with other automakers. And so Tesla has to invest aggressively to grow this infrastructure. Um, and, and the number of other people there doesn't matter. So all that to say, this is something that will serve Tesla customers by bringing in outside sources of funding to grow the infrastructure so that you have fewer Teslas to fight with at your charger, there's gonna be more capacity. That said, by opening it up, you know, um, Tesla can bring in other people, even adding one charging session per charger per day from an outside manufacturer, uh, you know, that yields, according to Mad Manx, an extra $4,000 a year in profit per, per charger. So, you know, that could be significant over the long run. I think if you are averaging those types of things, then there would be some competition with other other vehicles at the Tesla superchargers that Tesla buyers would feel a little bit miffed by. Um, so I, I honestly don't think that there's gonna be enough volume of those other vehicles anytime in the near future for us to see that, but 
in the eventuality that they do run into that problem, we just know that Tesla will be making money off of it. Um, and as shareholders, we don't have to worry too much. Go ahead, Mimi. No, I'm fine. Okay. I, see, I, I just find it so interesting. I'll throw it to you, Richard, here. I just find it so interesting that Tesla has been getting paid by other automakers already with the ZEV credits, which has been funding their growth. And now they're going to be paid by other automakers through charging to continue funding their growth. And the government is going to be paying Tesla with the IRA credits uh, for their battery manufacturing to fund their growth. So it's like it's Tesla's finding all these different ways of getting paid by other people for them to just keep growing. And then somehow they're still not a super reliable, super low risk long term play. And uh, I'm just. I wonder how much a move like Ford and GM jumping in bed with Tesla, let's say, how much does that influence Berkshire Hathaway's outlook for the company? You know, if 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 they're into super low risk type investments that are clear as day and are super easy to identify, I'm wondering if this kind of plays into that equation because it seems like like what else needs to happen? You know, what else needs I to think happen? The modeling cash flows is the reason that Berkshire Hathaway will not invest in Tesla anytime soon. There's too much variance in the potential cash flow outcomes over the next 10 years. Like if they hit FSD, you know, if, if, if there's all these Musk option things and all those Musk options are the exact reason why Berkshire is not going to invest because there are people in the market who are pricing those things in and Berkshire doesn't want to invest in something where value is assigned to something that's that iffy, whether or not it will or will not come to pass. They like to invest in things where they can be very, very, very confident that they know exactly how much money a company is going to be making in 10 years from now um, to a much tighter range than something like Tesla. And so it really is about the growth stage that Tesla is in. Um, you know, even, you know, Apple, they when they finally invested in Apple, I think it was at a point where they felt much more confident in being able to model future cash flows to a very narrow range than so earlier why are they on in when it was about growth. Why are they in BYD? Uh, I think BYD is a little bit more like that. And also, I think that was more about a sector play just in being involved in China. What about Snowflake? I was gonna um, say B I'm not really familiar with Snowflake enough to know. Yeah. BYD they had a small position. And Snowflake, I think, was their smallest position. So, you know, maybe but somebody... that's my point. That's my point. Like, why not nibble in Tesla? Like if you're already nibbling in BYD and Snowflake, like I would argue that the beat like what, what Hans outlined is, you know, if if uh, so Berkshire Hathaway is saying that they're confident about BYD's future cash flows for the next 10 years in a in a country that is uh, at a kind of like a financial war with the United States and Tesla has just cut well, the prices dramatically. Well, that's why they sold it down. But they, like, okay. they invested in it long before all that macro and geopolitical risk became apparent. And then once they started to encounter those things and they sold the position down. Okay. You could you could say this, you could say an opposite response to this, but they've taken a different bet. Their bet, besides, so Apple's by far their biggest position. Their second position is Occidental. They they have the oil, their position is an oil company. That's their second biggest position. So I think they've made a decision that's a good hedge bet for them. 
and you know maybe increasing the size of their EV exposure would not fit within their portfolio. And they did reduce their BYD position too. So in that because they try to stay away from. Uh, they were in TSMC, uh, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, which is obviously a great company. They got out of that, too, because they were concerned about any kind of risk to because of a Chinese-Taiwan conflict. So they're very risk adverse. I still think they would see Tesla as being too risky. And um, I think the, the oil play would be an opposite to establishing a play in Tesla. Okay. Uh, did you have something else to say, Richard? I, I was going to throw it back to you earlier. Yeah, I did. Yeah. One, you know, one thing we don't know, we're kind of just assuming, but we don't know. We don't know what the contracts are, what these agreements are between Tesla and GM and Ford and whoever else comes on board. Do they have to pay something for the right to use the uh, superchargers? Do they have to pay something for maintenance? Do they have to pay for future construction? Do they have to pay for future maintenance? All those may be, you know, terms and Tesla may generate additional revenue covering costs from those very people and other OEMs that come into play. It's also interesting that the that the Chinese who come to the United States will have to conform with the Tesla standard to do big numbers because that's going to be where the availability is. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see if it has a converse effect in China if Tesla could become the dominant plug in China, I don't know, but I, it would be interesting if they could have more of a prominence in that way too. Because I think from a energy standpoint, uh, mega pack, et cetera, I think they're going to have a, a big presence in China too. That's a great yeah, point. Yeah, currently China uses a whole different standard. So that's the the third. There's you know CCS two in Europe, and ACS coming to be the standard here in North America. Um, but then China uses a whole different third standard. Uh oh, I took a bite. <laughs> so I can, I can pick up here. So all this ties back into this recent stock rise, right? So, uh, like, how do you guys like? It was pretty interesting watching the stream yesterday when Yashu jumped in and he was saying basically is the recent rise over the last five, six weeks, four weeks, um, how much of that is tied to like insider Wall Street knowledge that uh, that this stuff is happening? And is there more? And like, that's a weakness that we as retail investors will never get because we are not privy to that Wall Street information. That's that's a great question. While I get flamed in the private chat for being a slow eater, uh, I think the <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, man. Uh, <laughs> the I think Yashu brought up such a fascinating point when he said that. You know, I I think there definitely a a certain level of of the recent movements I think can be tied to people knowing something. Probably, I don't know how big of a movement, but you would think that you know, I'm sure Jim. And Elon had the conversation. I'm sure it wasn't that day where they're like, hey, Elon, we're going to do NACS. And they're like, OK, cool. Can you jump on a space with me in two minutes and do the call? I don't think that's how it works. Right. And he said it himself. They've been talking about it for two years. So and, and it's tough to control leaks when you're a pretty large company like that, especially one that's been around for a long time. So 
but but then at the same time, the, the broader markets have been up in the last few weeks, last six to eight weeks. You know, we are we've officially entered a um, bull market, which I don't know. You know, I, if I, I I'm still I don't know. It, it's I'm getting conflicting data points from the economy, so it's hard for me to know. And you know, will Tesla be impacted by it? That's that's an open question. But uh, I think I think it's a, it's a fascinating development. I really do think that the partnership is redefining. Tesla and, and Richard made this point at the beginning. Like it, it is an infrastructure company, you know. It's it's an AI company. It's all these companies, but the endorsement by these longstanding players, which again I fully expect to accelerate during the summer, sends a message. And the mind share from those statements, you know, as we discussed previously, where you know if if you're a Toyota, GM, Ford, Mercedes, BMW, whoever else decides to go on an ACS buyer. And that company makes that the announcement. All of a sudden, Tesla's like, "Wow, they're legitimate." Toyota is partnering with Tesla. Hell yeah, Tesla are the best with EVs. That's worth something, right? And then do a freaking Super Bowl ad. Now that Elon said they're doing an ad, drop a twenty million dollar one minute ad during the Super Bowl and blow three hundred million people's minds uh, on that day. And then uh, you're off to the. I mean, I don't know. You're probably production constrained for the rest of the decade. I don't know. You know, you, you know? gave me a MMTLP opening here. You know, I come on every week uh, saying the same thing over and over again, putting people to sleep. But the point is market manipulation. So I accept the fact, I, my view, and maybe it's a cynical view. I think the market's manipulated. I think insiders know. That's why you see sometimes at whatever your closing time is, but West Coast closing time at like 1258, all of a sudden I see some crazy action. Uh, I, does somebody know something? Yes, they do. So I expect insiders know and insiders act on information. What I hope is to have a fairer market because I don't think it's possible. The institutions have an advantage. They have a computer advantage. They have a manpower advantage. That's their business. So I don't think you can ever, you can ever match them. But it doesn't have to be less fair. So they don't have to manipulate or be as manipulative. So I think the share price moving could be related to manipulation. But also, you know, my premise is we were at 406, 412, excuse me. We were at 412. We were at 106. Now we're at about 250. It's kind of like a midpoint. So we went too far one direction. We went too far the other, other direction. And now we're kind of like fig figuring out what the real price action is. And, you know, I watch a lot of st stocks, securities, and I see the prices move and they do. They shift, especially growth companies, they shift a lot. And it may not be related to anything, any news, just the natural movement of these stocks. So I think it happens. I don't know if it happened here. And I take that into account, but I accept it. And I'm not like, pissed off that it happens i'm only pissed off when i think it's over the top yeah i actually have a story back in the 2000s i was working at this company and i i was optioning my stocks through a second party and these guys were managing it for me and then the one of the companies i was uh trading options on they were like there's all this news, there's all this buzz on the street about this company. And like, it was like three weeks ahead of like the actual thing. So it does happen. But the real 
thing we should remember is that if you're in for a long haul, this stuff doesn't matter, right? This only affects you if you're like trading options or you're playing short-term plays, right? Like you, you're missing out on this. What do we have? Like a seven, 60, 70% gain here. Like that only matters if like you have a two week to four week time horizon on your investment, right? So if you're, if you've bought your stock way long ago, this doesn't affect you at all, right? Because you're not selling. It's only like if you had options, which we know people who do on Tesla, like those people like made a lot more money than the people who like if you straddled over this from like December to today, you've made nothing. But like if you started like a month ago, right, you would have made a lot of money. So I was going to say the best example of it is with Tesla itself. Every time Elon sold publicly, when the market would open, it would be way down, not down, way down. Like when he sold, there were a bunch of brokers at these brokerage houses that knew those orders were in and they sold too and they got ahead of the game. So when the market would open, it was already factored in and we get a big dump. So I think that's just an example of it. That's, you know, could you call that insider trading? Yeah, it is by the brokers. But nobody, you know, when I say nobody, very little prosecution or litigation by the SEC or FINRA about that. So most times you people get away with it. It's a bummer. Can I tell you my my little option story from this morning? So uh, we were uh, waking up and uh, I was looking at Tesla stock price. Shout out to Hans. He helped me think of a tweet. Ha ha. Love y'all. Thank you, Amit. Amit is the goat. I got to have you on the channel, bro. Amit, uh, let's uh, let's sync up after this. I'd love to have you on. I haven't spoken in a, in a minute. Um, but we, we were waking up this morning and then I was looking at the Tesla stock price and I was like, oh, look, the, the pre-market held. It's like 250 or whatever it was, 250, whatever, or 240, whatever. And then and then she's like, producer wife's like, well, yeah, but wasn't the stock like a, like 100 bucks not that long ago? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, why don't you do a call option? I'm like, yeah, why didn't I do a call option? I wish I could go back in time. If it only were that easy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's sure. And okay, and then I felt like, wow, I'm such a terrible uh, investor. Um, she's very smart. She's very smart. Yeah, she's like, why? Why didn't you do the thing that would would have guaranteed a bunch of money, you idiot? <laughs> so that was my uh, little lesson on call options this morning from producer wife. Um, anybody have any topics before we hit uh, our poll results and Q and A? Yeah, how about the three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars cyber trucks? Yeah, sure. Let's hit it. Uh, you know, I saw it. That was the uh, what they're factoring or claiming the initial run rate to be. I saw like August as a, a date recently. Uh, you know, I saw a release date being October, like we're starting to really deliver vehicles. I thought that was really uh, 375,000. I was impressed with that being the initial goal. That's going to be a lot of extra dough and a lot of extra advertising. For sure. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, pull this up. Uh, producer wife, can you uh, pull up the link in the private chat, please? Article by Electrek with the headlight reading. Tesla plans 375,000 Cybertrucks per year will have release candidates by late August, which kind of lines up with release candidates August. 
I mean, is that a September, October launch, maybe, if we're lucky, right? Month or two pr prior. Hopefully, the release candidates are, are good candidates. Scroll down a little bit for us, producer wife, if you don't mind, so we can read the first few sentences. Thank you. Uh, Tesla is planning to produce 375,000 Cybertrucks per year and have release candidates by late August. According to communications, they were sent to suppliers. The Cybertruck is arguably the most anticipated electric vehicle program to launch this year. Uh, I would say definitely. Uh, we, along with about 1.5 million reservation holders, have been following. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Cool. So uh, 375,000. I mean, I, I think what's interesting about that number, thank you, uh, producer wife. I think what's interesting about that number is it's dead center of what Elon Musk communicated at the yearly shareholder meeting, right? Where he said somewhere between 250 and 500. Uh, to me, 375 still feels low for that type of product, especially if it has a 1.5 million. <laughs> a long backlog. I think to your point, after it, after it hits the the roads and it really starts getting out there as early as three months from now, I think that uh, that number is probably closer between half a million to a million units within the next couple of years, production capacity, if I were to guess. Um, yeah, what do you guys think? I think the ramp up will be slow. Robin's leaving. He's like, screw it. I hit the wrong yeah, button. Yeah, I agree. It's all good. I think, I think, uh, a lot of those 1.5 million uh, reservations belong to Matt Smith. So, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. He's got like at least 1.1 million of those. But, yeah. but you asked you asked before, Robin, why did the stock go up? This might be a factor also. So maybe I like so. the fact that they have to factor in now. You know, they may not factor it all in, but it's 375,000 over X period of time. So that's a lot of extra profit, whatever that profit will be. Maybe. But how long will it take before there are at 375,000? I think the end of 2024. That's my view. Ooh, uh, I would one say probably year. close. One, one say, year and a quarter, five quarters. No. You think five think quarters they reach soon. peak production? Yeah, because I think no. they're going to be much farther along pre-production-wise because it was such a difficult product. I think it's they were going to be much farther pre-production-wise and it'll be an efficient start, but slow. 375, that means like, what, about 300,000 a year? Something like that? The actual run rate? Five quarters? I can jive yeah. with this because if you compare it to 3 and Y, 3 and Y are almost like their lifeblood products, right? If they don't get them out and get them selling and like ramp that as fast as possible and even just start selling them as fast as possible as soon as possible, I meant like the company is on the line, but now that's not the case and they can take more time to make sure that the first initial like production line is more viable and more adaptable. And they've had two big products to really figure that out. So even though it's really different there, there's something to be said about like that the initial run could ramp quickly. I don't know. Okay. Mimi, go ahead. Mm, no, I, I'm sitting here calculating. But well, wait. No, I don't think, but Elon also said that it was a complicated process. And it's the first time they do. I think it will take longer. Yeah, I, ju I just believe that they've done that up to this point in time. So when they get to the start, it will be much, much more of a complete product. Then past yeah. product, kind of what Rod Rodman was saying, but it, but you know that's thirty thousand a month at three seventy five approximately. 
I mean, that's a lot of extra a lot. vehicles and a lot of extra yeah. profit. And, you know, it, it obviously can't be realized. So, you know, I don't know where the stock price is going to be in October, but let's say delivery. And, you know, we're not expecting big numbers in that last quarter. You know, it might be a thousand, might be 10,000, whatever. But that first one comes off the line. The stock is going to skyrocket. It's going to it's going to go crazy. The reaction to that. When, once production is started and we know that now vehicles are going to be delivered and sold, it's going to be Elon says this is the best product that Tesla has ever made. It's going to go crazy, I believe. I think it really. I mean, we've we've skyrocketed on whatever to this point in time. I think that's going to be one of the largest catalysts ever to hit Tesla. But why are you so confident that the, that the release day will have such a big uh, impact on the stock? Because I just think that product will be such a deemed an innovative product and will show Tesla in a different light. It's because it's going from a standardized vehicle to a new form of vehicle. And I just think it will be have some degree of popularity where those who like it are going to like it like we like Tesla. They're going to be super fanboys and promoting it, and I just think it's it's an it's a literally a driving ad, advertisement for yeah. the product. Okay, Hans. Yeah, the amount of media attention that it's going to get is going to be insane. It's going to be the hot new in it thing for a while, and I think just as a function of the amount of attention, like it's going to be the advertising campaign in a lot of ways that Tesla enthusiasts have been asking for um so just you know it's it's going to be talked about in all the mainstream media outlet it's also going to be talked about by tech influencers mkbhd is going to have an autofocus episode about it you know very early on it's going to be the it topic of conversation uh once deliveries start rolling out and yeah, I think that that is probably underestimated by a lot of people. How much impact that'll have on the stock price, I don't know, but I know that it will break through a lot of the Tesla bubble barriers that we have currently. And a lot of people will get exposed to Tesla and they'll also have an opportunity to learn Hey, you know, I can't afford a Cybertruck or I don't want a Cybertruck, but how expensive are these things? And what's the charging like? And and some of those types of questions that people, you know, as soon as they know to ask the questions, then the information is all out there. They just have to, they have to ask the questions in the first place. As far as the 375 target, you know, I, I read that as Elon's internal optimistic target. You know, he's going to sandbag. He's going to continue to say 250. He's going to tell the team, no, the goal is 375. And then, you know, we'll see. Maybe we hit it. Maybe we don't. Um, just like Mimi pointed out earlier, the newer production processes are more challenging just because they've never really been done before at that scale. It's not that folding steel is hard, but folding steel that is that hard in those quantities at those volumes, that's hard you know you've got to get all your quality dialed in i think they're going to face some similar challenges to the uh challenges that also affect the cyber truck in 4680 production that 
yes, like we can get all these things working, but can we get the yield where it needs to be at the run rates that we need to have in order to support those levels of volume? And those are just very hard um, engineering challenges. And, you know, once they start ramping up those lines that are knocking out all of the folded panels at volume, they're going to run into new challenges or be like, oh my gosh, you know, we're, they're not fitting right here, or we've got problems like the machines are breaking or, you know, all kinds of different engineering challenges that potentially could, could come up. So personally, I'm not expecting more than 250,000 run rate at the end of 2024, just because there's still a lot of unknown unknowns and, you know, hopefully they are able to get that stuff sorted out and we can be closer to 375. I still think long-term that Cybertruck caps out somewhere between 500 and a million units per year annually of production. And so there's a long uh, runway and just like why has continued to grow over a multi-year horizon in multiple factories. I think we'll see something similar for, for Cybertruck as well. Yeah, I, I think if I think about the summer, you know, like what are some of the potential catalysts that are going to run us through to the Cybertruck launch? Q2 delivery record, uh, potentially a surprise in margins. We'll see, but definitely a delivery record, delivery record. You have a potential of FSD going wide to the entire North American fleet and all the videos and hype that's going to come about that. Uh, and then you have the Cybertruck launch. So these are things that are, and, and then, and then the string of automakers that are going to go on NACS, right? Yep. So, yeah. yeah, we also have like the, go, no, go ahead. And then you have Mexico plus the discussion True. of new factories, right? So Indonesia, where were the other ones? Valencia, Spain, Spain. Was Valencia, India, South mm -hmm. Korea, Indonesia, Canada, Canada. Yeah. But Canada seems to kind of like fallen down the list. Yeah, or at least not doesn't seem like the urgency seems with Canada. And it seemed like this week it was Spain, and you know again a four a, like a five the number I saw was like a five billion dollar investment in a factory there to do the Model Two. They'll have a yep. no siesta zone for the Tesla <laughs> Gigafactory. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was I on Twitter ripping everybody <laughs> apart on that. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I I found that statistic that they work only two hours less than the Canadians per week. So That's it. I I think they're gonna have a a factory in Spain because they want to um, try to um, um, feel off the uh, African market. I, mm. I think I think they're coming out with a Tesla Sangria, and they figured Spain was a good place for to start off. <laughs> I there is also a Ford heard, Fiesta. There could be a Tesla yeah. Siesta. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I also like saw that this week that uh, construction in Mexico ten to twelve weeks out, depending okay. on. And it was interesting the way they put it. I'll ch I'll uh, interpret. They said, depending on permitting. Don't take this. This is my opinion, not legal advice. I interpreted depending on permitting as depending on bribes. That was my interpretation. <laughs> that controlled the timing. I may be like cynical. The other thing I saw that was really interesting today was today NVIDIA's AI uh, system is deemed uh, hackable so that you could get personal information out of it. It's not protected like Google or 
or uh, ChatGBT or whatever, you can, because they, they did it. They were able to extract people's personal information through the NVIDIA system. And so NVIDIA is going to have to go back, which relates to why Tesla got hit. I did a video on this. Tesla got hit for that date that data breach. So for NVIDIA, that's a big issue because in Europe, it could be up to 4% of your turnover. So if you're, whatever your gross sales are, 4%. That's why that $3.3 billion number came out for Tesla. Mm. So it could be like a big hit. And it's every time you violate it, it's a new fine. So for NVIDIA, that could be a big problem. And That's they, a software fix though, right? I don't know. that it They were, yeah, probably is a software fix. Yeah. I, do I know? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. I created that uh, program and Good. I uh, made the chip too. That's why yeah. we have you on. You're our AI expert. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's uh, check our poll results and go into community Q&A where producer wife will only bring up the best ones, which is all of them. Shout out to Valencia, Spain. My goodness, if I was still working at Tessa, I'd be moving to Spain so I can just take a lifelong vacation. Who wouldn't in Spain? Is that a really Who's nice next? place? Is Valencia really nice? Valencia, I heard, is really nice. Yeah, I've never visited. Yes, but it's nice. Everybody says it's super nice. Yeah. Uh, who's next to adopt Tesla's charging plug, the NACS, North American Charging Standard? Hyundai Kia, 34%. Rivian, 33%. Volkswagen, 23%. Other, 8%. 682 votes. So pretty good sample size here. The correct the answer, poll. the correct answer is, Lucid. obviously, Stellantis. <laughs> it's Stellantis. You think so? Yeah, because they're going to go have any EVs. Anyway. I know, but they're going to go out of business anyway, so they got to join in the crowd. Maybe it'll bump up their stock for a week. I think it'll, I think it'll be Hyundai, if I were to guess. I know Hans explained there's some complications, but it seems like they would have to do it, you know? Maybe the, but, maybe the Mini Cooper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. BMW, so. Yeah. Any any reactions yeah. to that poll result? Any, any, any thoughts before we go Q&A? Yeah, I'm the only one here from Poland, so that's the only one I think it applies to. Okay. <laughs> oh, polling. Okay. All right. Just bring up the question so we can move on. Two out of ten. You undid the great joke you had at the beginning. Damn it, Richard. First question. And Tommy, when <laughs> stock split? <laughs> well, you know, I think I think we're still a, a few uh a few days away and weeks and years away from that. How do you guys think about that? I mean, the last time uh, Tesla did a stock, it was a three, three, four, one, right? When it rich reached, uh, what was it? A uh, thousand bucks, 1200 bucks or something. If I remember well, correctly. I just know yeah. that we'll get plenty of fair warning because they didn't, uh, when they did the shareholder vote, they didn't raise the upper limit on the number of stock that they can have out there far enough to do another split. So yeah. we'll get a we'll get a shareholder vote first, and then we'll get a split after. We can do a one to 1.005 split, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. So they have to <laughs> authorize the issuance of additional shares, exactly. which they where they will. But I've already saw the split. It's a three for one, July nineteenth, twenty twenty five. Okay, write it down, everybody. I hate when it's split in three. It's so hard to. It took my brain forever to think about the new price. If you ever played the game, the card game, poke. I mean, uh, baseball. You would like threes, nine threes and nines are wild, and four you get four you get another card. 
the card Look game of baseball? Yeah, baseball. <laughs> I've never played baseball at all. I play other card games. So, Tommy, it will be a while. It will be a minute. <laughs> I didn't even know what to say to Rich earlier. I was trying to come up with a joke, but I blanked. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> next question, please. Alex, thank you so much. Do you think NACS and Supercharger Access will have 4GM releasing 40 kilowatt hour, 180 mile range compact cars to compete with Toyota and Hyundai? Or will they just keep making trucks and SUVs? So the thought process here is, is you, they'll be able to charge everywhere. And Jim Farley said that they're going to favor smaller battery packs versus these giant battery packs other automakers are doing so they can take advantage of the charging network. How do you guys think about this? Who wants to take this one first? I have a lot of thoughts here, but I'll be curious to see what you guys have. I think still range is important because even like what, I think it was Yashu or uh, who was on yesterday? Uh, it was uh, Yashu, anyway. Noah, and Ishan. Yeah, I think yeah. it was, was it Noah? Anyway, like the long, and all the, the same longer, person. Who cares? Yeah, we we have a room where we pull people out, and they're all the same. We just put masks <laughs> on them. Uh, so if you have a huge battery and you go on a long trip, and you want to charge from like ten to sixty percent, the bigger your battery is, the more that ten to sixty gets you, right? So if you have a three hundred mile pack, like six fifty percent of that that's 150 miles. Whereas if you have a 250 pack, that t 10 to 60% is only going to get you like 110 miles, right? So it's less. Yeah. yeah. I know Anybody that else? Jim was talking pretty extensively about the LFP packs coming out of China. And so I think that for those smaller vehicles, they'll definitely go in that direction, which does help them to be able to charge, you know, that, larger zero to 100 range instead of having to you know keep it down in the 20 to 60 or 10 to 80 range for like a, a nickel based chemistry but it was the comments that he made and then also the comments that um darren palmer made on the episode this morning with monroe live are I'm still trying to parse through them and figure out there they've definitely been talking about the Ford Fiesta and it seems like there's something there um but Jim said he doesn't want to try and compete with a commodity like mass market electric vehicle because he thinks it'll be hard to make money on that and so they've they've got to be doing something different with it than um than other automakers and it made me wonder if they're really going to go for like a performance hot hatch in the small, the smaller segment. Um, it it kind of remains to be seen. But if they do, either way, I, I don't think that that 40 to 100 mile range is the segment that Ford wants to compete in. I think they want to compete in areas where they know the customer really well and where they think that they have special features or functionality that they can bring to the consumer that other people aren't necessarily going to bring first. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't see a like gutless wonder, tiny battery, Nissan Leaf-esque type vehicle being something that they're interested in bringing at all. Um, if they do, it'll it'll be something completely different. Yeah, the way I think about... Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I was going to say, they can't even yeah. build cars. <laughs> they, they can't even build cars now. Uh, and they've already indicated both. 
Ford and GM indicated they can't make any money on these cars, specifically, at least through 2030. They say 2030. I'm going to say 2035, you know, just being <laughs> realistic about it. Which never. means there's going to be, and Toyota is not even in the game. They're not even doing this. And I, th I think we've spoken about it before. Not only are they behind the scene, but they rely upon sales in China for, you know, they make most of their money in China. And as the end of this year, they lose all the ICE income from China because their cars won't qualify anymore. So we have to factor that in, in terms of the, the uh, Japanese car company's ability to compete in the EV business. Because I think in 2024, they're going to face dramatic headwinds because their sales are going to be dramatically lower. And whatever profits, especially Toyota, their profits are going to take a, a big hit. And obviously, they've, they've expressed a lack of willingness, although they've changed, but a lack of willingness to be aggressive in pursuing EVs. So I just don't see the competition. I don't see the cars being built by Ford and GM. And I don't see the Japanese car makers making significant enough vehicles. And in the same time, we're presuming end of 2024, Tesla is going to be making the Model 2 in Mexico. And so they're going to be populating the road with these cars. So I don't really think it's competing with Ford, competing with Toyota or Hyundai. It's going to be who's going to be competing with Tesla as to that category. Mimi, any thoughts? Yeah, I have two things that I absolutely do not understand. And one is Toyota. I mean, the other day they say, hey, we're going to build a lab in the U.S. to investigate what we will have in the cars when we start building them. I mean, uh, and that is going to be ready in 2025. So when are they going to build those cars? I mean, they will be gone. Absolutely. And the other is what we talked about, all these Ford and GM, they're not producing very many cars. And GM, they still say that they're going to have 30 different models. Why are they going to have 30 different models that won't make any profit? 100% agreed. Yeah, I think I think the... I think I think you guys covered it perfectly. It just it makes no sense. Um, yeah, Neo, but I do Neo does that in China. They have like a, a series of they make no money yet. They've spent a ton of money in infrastructure in terms of like they build these facilities for people to go hang out at, and they build battery swap stations. But they deliver yeah. like this month they deliver like five or six thousand cars. So their costs are immense, and their deliveries don't match. So I understand doing like infrastructure. But they're way overbalanced to the extent that they probably put their existence in jeopardy. Neo had to cut its Q2 uh, target by fifty percent for this year, which is that's a that's a big deal. I think they were projecting forty seven thousand. They had to cut between twenty to twenty five. That's yeah, they, so, they projected that's for the year like two hundred thousand, and through yeah. the first two quarters, they've produced about fifty thousand. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, big, big, big miss. Um, all right, let's do the next question. And Mason, is Giga Texas currently building out Model 3 line Project Highland? I don't think that's happening in Texas. From what I know, uh, it seems to be in Shanghai and Fremont. Anybody have any information there to supplement? No. No? I agree with you, and I've You're seen right. it spelled. I've also seen it spelled with a Y. H-Y-L-A-N-D. Both ways. So I don't know, actually, is it Highland or Highland? 
I, I think it's just, I think that name has stuck. <laughs> and who knows if it's actually called Highland internally, but um, cool. Let's do the next question. And damn it. Ross, could NACS slow the Chinese invasion? Uh, the Chinese brands will need to rely on CCS or pay Tesla a huge amount to use the API with the supercharger network. Both would slow adoption. So Richard, you have the opposite thought process here, right? You think it's going to be a catalyst, not a slowdown. I, yeah, I think they're going to capitulate because they need Tesla again to get to the United States. I really do believe, by the way, without Tesla being in China, that for the Chinese to get into Europe, and I know Mimi has indicated that you know they're not well received even in Europe, even though there's slight change, but I don't think they get in the, would get in the United States because the sentiment's so negative. You know, to, I, I think it is negative. I, I think Tesla is that kind of that modifying uh, voice, you know, again, the voice of reason in uh, when it comes to China. So I think they will capitulate. And again, I think maybe it'll open up other avenues for Tesla in China. Yeah, I think this is like a phrasing thing. So like Ross is sort of positing it as Tesla could slow down China's coming into the U.S. And what Richard is, sorry, Bob is saying is that Tesla will probably allow the Chinese to use uh, NACS to get in. So we don't know. Richard. That's... We have a new name for you in private chat from producer wife, Richard. Richard. That way we cover all bases. <laughs> Bob Churd. We, we, sh we should do a poll in the next in next week's stream. What should Bob's name actually be? <laughs> and you know what? We'll do a poll, and I agree to change my name legally. I'll go in. I'll leave okay. You heard it. And he's a lawyer, too, so you know his word is good, right? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Bodie McBoatface, here we come. Yes, here we go. <laughs> Get ready. All right. Next question. And, uh, J oh, JB? Sorry, bro. How many more gigafactories do you think Tesla will announce before the end of this year? So Elon said one more is, is what I understood. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I see a lot, of, a lot of nods. Yeah, I think it's basically him putting all these like countries against each other and lets them leak. And then they're going to all fight to get to the top of the list. But eventually, like probably all of them will have like a, meg a gigafactory at some point. Yeah, I'm going to say zero. I'm oh. going to say zero are announced. I think one will be announced first quarter of 2024. Okay. You have a crystal ball. I do. Yeah. He called a split. And a, and a Ouija board. <laughs> okay. A Luigi board. Everybody should watch that video on YouTube. <laughs> Luigi board. It's so funny. Uh, okay. Let's do a couple more. And lab experiment question. Will Tesla get into chip manufacturing, not just designing them? Um, I mean, isn't that what Dojo is? Or is it uh, no. they're outsourcing the, the manufacturing, right, for that one? Um, what I do you guys think about, about that? I talked about this a lot, uh, like six months ago, but everybody just told me how complicated it was. And it takes a long time and everything. So I, I gave up pushing that idea to Elon. So now he says, no, he's not going to do it. TSMC, okay. you can't fight it. Yeah, you can design them, but I think the fabrication of them just, it's, it's that's a whole, whole business in and of itself, you know. Yep. Okay. 
Um, all right. And, TF, Next. and TFMC, I think, is building a factory in Arizona also. I yeah. believe that's correct. Yep. Which is great. It's it really good, especially as uh, China-U.S. tensions build. I, I forgot to mention, there was also there was another piece of Tesla news indirect that I thought, and Hans talks about this company a lot. Palantir is in business now with Panasonic, is providing foundry services to Panasonic with regard to both the Nevada factory and the future Kansas factory for making the batteries for Tesla. So uh, Tesla will indirectly benefit from that to the extent that, I don't know what those guys are laughing about, but whatever, to the extent that they don't like Palantir or they do, uh, okay, yes. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I so I don't think the palantir like tesla will use palantir directly they have their own internally developed software that accomplishes all the tasks that foundry would need but it is a great thing for companies who are in tesla's supply chain who do not have the software capabilities that tesla has to be able to bring something like foundry or apollo in-house to be able to increase the speed with which they can operate and also provide better and richer data to Tesla that I'm sure. And I know that um, on the supply chain part of the presentation for the investor day that talked about how Tesla has a lot of embedded personnel in those suppliers. Um, I'm not sure how much software those embedded engineers have with those suppliers. And so that's one of the things that I was curious about and, and seeing that Palantir now is working with Panasonic tells me that, hey, you know, it is very potential that they're, the software that Tesla embedded employees are bringing with them into the suppliers doesn't really get them as much traction as something like Palantir, which is really made to be a much more plug and play solution, probably works with more different data infrastructure, backend softwares and stuff. You know, Tesla has their bespoke solution that works with exactly everything that they have, but it may not be as compatible with other ERP systems, other cloud providers, other um, data services. And so the fact that, you know, Palantir can do that for Panasonic should be good news for, for other companies in the supply chain as well, both for, and I think it's a win both for Tesla and for Palantir. I think Tesla will benefit from those companies having software that is of a higher quality than they have currently. And I think Palantir benefits, obviously, by being able to sell into a wider range of uh, clients. Maybe Rodman's uh, giggles overwhelmed you, but I agree with you. It was, it was indirect. It was indirect through Panasonic, not, through, not direct. But I want to hear Rodman's uh, joke. That's that's my. We were joke? just all laughing at you, and your name, <laughs> your name change. Oh well, I think I think what we should do as a perk for <clears throat> community members, we should live stream the the private chat just to community members. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just here you go. That's what we're laughing at. So oh. join us next week to make sure you bring your best name for Richard slash Bob slash knob slash not legal advice slash robert so we can decide his real legal name on next week's episode he's a lawyer so you know his word is good mimi rara 999 
Rodman, Hansi Nelson. Make sure you follow all these folks on Twitter. We have their handle right below their name. Uh, thank you to the community for joining us for another awesome Friday. Half of the earnings from these uh, community forums go into our community pool where the uh, community decides what to do with them. Uh, it's been quite a successful project and we keep uh, adding uh, dollar dollar signs y'all to that bucket. So it's uh, pretty, uh, pretty exciting stuff. And then uh, mods, as always, thank you so much for uh, keeping the conversation super uh, awesome in the comments section. And last but not least, producer wife, as always, great job. The star, the real star of the show out here. Yeah. Uh, any parting words before we move to our uh, member-only discussion? Have a, have a, have have a great day. Yeah, have a great weekend, everybody, and be well. <laughs> Take care. Awesome. All right. Join us by clicking join right below this video. We're going to our, our member-only discussion, and we'll see you there in a couple minutes. Take it easy, everybody. Until next week. Bye-bye.